Welcome to the Costello Coaching Podcast, where we talk about developing the human within the athlete. My vision is to enhance people's performance in all aspects of their lives. I hope you enjoy. And we're back with the Costello Coaching Podcast. I'm Tommy Costello with a dear friend, Dr. Stephen Fru. Um, Dr. Fru is 85 years old, double PhD in theology and psychology. I do my own inner work with Dr. Fru, so it's very special for me to have him on the podcast. We're going to be taking part in an eight-part series where we dive into the deep dynamics of uh, the inner world and what the inner being means. Uh, Stephen has lived an absolutely full life, uh, coming from New Jersey, left home at 12 years old, 13. 13 years old, and went on to go run track and field in college, high school. Yeah, college. College, high school. He was a track athlete. And he then went on to work in ministry and got his PhD in theology and then shifted over to the uh, field of psychology and has served every type of population from marriage counseling to relationship building to high-performing CEOs with companies over $500 million. And he is a person that is a fountain of knowledge. And I'm so happy and fortunate that I get to share his life experience, his knowledge, and his wisdom with you because it truly is special to me. And before I let him get on the mic, I want to let you know that today we're going to be speaking to a very specific demographic and one that is really important to my heart because it's the population that I specifically serve. But it's because I believe that the age group from 15 to 25, that 10-year window in your life can really dictate what 25 to 50 looks like and then from 50 to 75. And those 10 years can almost put you on a path for what your next 50 look like. And so there's so much change that happens there. And Stephen has excellent knowledge on how change impacts our life. So without further ado, Dr. Stephen Frew. Thank you, Tommy. I, you know... It's a, it's a critical thing to think about change impacting our lives, but we impact the change as well. It's mm-hmm. a two-way street. So what we're made of, I think, we're made of as uh, to evolve, to become the, the psychologist Jung in Switzerland said years ago, what we're meant to do is to be the individuals we were born to be. I give men I work with an acorn and tell them that this acorn is meant to be an oak tree. And if you take that acorn and carry it around in your pocket, you'll remember that you're meant to be the oak tree and you're a unique oak tree. You know, two oak trees are alike. So here's the thing. You start out in life and everybody loves you to death. Everybody thinks you're just the sweetest, cutest, brightest, everything. (laughs) And you're learning all the time. You're learning. You learn how to walk. You learn how to talk. You learn how to eat. There's all kinds of learning. It's profound if you think about it. But within, within that learning, you're also creating patterns. You learn how to walk a certain way. You're not aware of it, but you do. You learn how to talk a certain way. You learn what not to say. You learn what not to think Mm. because you have parents and you have teachers and you have friends and you have all kinds of stuff. So you're learning. It's a learning, heavily invested learning time of your life, those first 15 years. Somewhere around 13, 14, 15, 16, guess what happens? You start to enter the era of critical thinking. For the first time in your life, you're saying, I don't agree with that. Whatever. 
No, I think you're wrong. You start to identify who you are, not who you were in the context of your family or your school friends or whoever. You start to try, and that's a very painful and exciting and promising part of your life, that 15 to 25, because depending on what kind of encouragement and support you get, now you'll, you'll change more quickly in the direction of who you are meant to be, or you'll limit that change. So I've seen some athletes stay very conservative with their changing because they're afraid to evolve into what they really, really know within themselves they are. So that's a great, great time. Yeah. And you know, what's really interesting about what you're saying is it's something that I've actually talked about on the podcast. I don't know if we've talked about it at length or consistent enough, but there, there's a, what I tell people is the best predictor of your future is looking at your past because we're, we're habitual and we're creatures of habit. So when we establish a pattern, we'll probably repeat the pattern. Yes. So when it comes to improving oneself, understand your previous pattern. And then if you know what's your patterns were, you can see what's going to come. And if you see where you were kind of challenged, you can then work on something that created that challenge for you in your life because of that pattern that you established. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you think of change as your, as a gift from the gods, from whomever, if you think of it as a gift, you'll start to say, I got it. I'm, I'm changing. Things are changing because they're supposed to. Beautiful. Because I get to be, I was a quarterback and 10th and 11th years, my 10, 11, 12 years, and I became interested in pitching and I walked onto a baseball diamond and suddenly I said, wow, home. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's beautiful. Now, when you say that uh, 13, 14, 15, 16, you start critical thinking. Yeah. Obviously that has to do with brain development and how the brain develops at that time in our life. Um, But to kind of further that point, that's when you can start to establish a no, a yes, and a maybe, right? And that, that's something we've talked about at length. Well, so yeah. I know I know you got a great story about uh, I believe it was Hollywood High School. Yeah, you gave a yeah, speech at. Yeah, tell me yeah. about tell me about that speech at Hollywood is, High School. This is a really fun time in my life. Yeah. I was asked to do Career Day at Hollywood High School, and the stage in the this three thousand or thirty five hundred students, I forget how many. But the stage was set up for the musical cabaret, so they had a a big circular. Uh, piece on the stage and the speaker got to stand in that and that circular piece was covered with lights so you felt like a star anyway before i did that uh, i was down in the cafeteria talking to the guidance counselors and the principal um about what i was doing and the principal said well you know Stephen, uh good luck getting these kids to listen to you we don't we have a lot of trouble getting them to listen. He said, you know, we got your 30% Mexicans and we got your 10% Chinese and we got your 15% this and your 10% that. He was a hostile man in my judgment. And I could only listen so long. And then I said, please excuse me. I'm going up on the stage and I'll wait for you there. By the way, when, when you introduce me, remember my name is Fru. It rhymes with true. It rhymes with blue. And uh, he's, yeah, I got it. I got it. So I went up, I went upstairs. I went to the stage, laid in the back. 
on a bench and listened to the auditorium filling up, and it was absolutely magical moment for me. I heard them murmuring, talking. I heard the excitement. I could feel the energy in my body. I was resonating, spiritual moment. I was resonating to their energy, excited to be there, grateful like I am grateful to be here with Tommy. I was resonating. So I got up to, to, to get introduced, and the principal said, uh, this is Dr. Fruch. And uh, so I knew that we had not connected and we were not on the same page. I knew that. It's okay. It's who he was and who I was. So I got up there, and I'm looking out over the auditorium packed now with teenagers, and I say to them, I love your energy. I love the energy here. I can't tell you how much I appreciate being invited here and loving your energy. And I was going to talk to you about, and I told them what I was going to talk to them about, which I had worked very hard in preparing And I took my stack of notes and I just dropped them on the floor. And I said, what I'd really like to talk to you about is your yes. But in order to get to your yes, you're going to have to know your no. Or you'll spend your life living in maybe. Now, if you think about that and change, you have to know your no. If somebody is telling you how to pitch a fastball, and you know it's not right for your body, that's a time, that's a critical time for you to look at. Is this a no for me? Or is this a maybe for me? And if somebody's telling you how to pitch a fastball and you say, yes, I can see that, I can feel it. What a wonderful opening. So good coaching would be sympathetic and empathic to your yes, your no, and maybe what lives in between. Because if you don't know your no, you'll live your life in maybe. And you will always be wondering who you are, what you bring to the world, and uh, and whether what you bring to the world is legit, is valuable. Mm. It's beautiful. How would you help someone establish how to say no? That's a beautiful question because that's the cornerstone of my work. If you get, um, especially uh, we're talking about young people, they get shamed for saying no. Mm. Uh, and I have children. I have four adopted children, five natural children. I have children, and I had to face with each of them when they went into their adolescence, into their 13, 14, there was a whole lot of no's in my house. Not many maybes, there's a lot of no. No, I don't like that, I don't do that, I don't want to do that. Well, we're going to do that. So I, at that time pretty much went into top-down leadership, you know, my way or the highway. And slowly I had to learn from those children that their no was what was the most valuable thing they brought to the family. Hmm. And all I had to do, instead of arguing and competing, all I had to do was say, really? And why did you say no? Hey guys, hope you're enjoying the show. Only way this podcast grows is if it's shared. So please share it with your friends, family, or anyone you feel like it can help enhance their performance in their life. A little karma goes a long way. Let's get back to the show. You know, what's really funny is that when I work with an athlete, there's two types when it comes to this yes, no, and maybe concept. There's two types. There's the yes, sir, go get it attitude, hardworking, super disciplined, going to get the job done. And you love that, you know, you smile and you just think that that, that kid is beautiful. You know, that's, that's amazing. Then you have the stubborn one who's a no and challenges you and questions you. And it doesn't have to be rude, but you can just feel the energy that they're really challenging your thought process and yes. your concept. 
And that's beautiful too. You love that. Yeah. And the person that is the tough one to coach is the maybe. Yes. The maybe is the one who is wondering if they should be there or wondering, are they meant to do this or wondering if they're bad or good and judging themselves that way. So the tough person to coach, in my opinion, is the maybe. Uh, the yes, sir, you're going to give them direction and they'll take the coaching and run with the coaching. The person who challenges you is good because they're not partaking in passive compliance, something that yeah. we've spoken about and we'll get to further length at another time. But the maybe is really difficult to work with because they have to convince themselves first. And as a coach, I don't want to be in the position of trying to convince someone to do something in a certain way. I want to be there to facilitate either the conversation, the exercise, the technique, and and coach them in that way. So I know you've run across many different types of people, but the hardest person to coach is the person that's not willing to change. Well, I, I would say two things. The first person you mentioned, the yes, sir. I'm, I'm always concerned about yes, sir. I know. <laughs> because it... It, what it means a lot of times is you don't give yourself time to reflect on on your own maybe you, know, you don't give your time it's not that maybe is an evil thing but it's a it's a little bit of space there for reflection is how do you create space do you take a breath what do you do to create yeah, space that's, there that's very very good you need you need people around you you trust so that you can talk out your maybe with yeah. people you trust who and is that an inner feeling that someone gets someone saying something to you and you have that gut feeling and you feel like I don't know if that's right. If that comes up, is that what we're talking about? Well, in a future podcast, we're, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about three brains. Uh, the CEO brain, the head brain, the heart brain, and the gut brain. And how those brains work with yes, no, and maybe. It's a really interesting conversation. Yeah. So, yes, no, and maybe have to do with change. But then what you do with change has to do with the three heads. Well, yeah. And if you look at, um, for example, the the third one, the passive compliant one, the maybe one. I, I did a, I did a cons consultation at a company that went from 40 million to 240 million in about three and a half years. I didn't take responsibility for that. Don't misunderstand me, but they did. And I was happy to be part of it. And one of the things on the very first week I was there, I had the whole leadership team in one room and on the, on the whiteboard, I wrote the two most, did you know what the two most dangerous words to a successful company are? And everybody gave me these ideas and stuff like that. You know, I made them up. They, it's not like out of a book or something. But I let them do their thing. And then I wrote on the board, passive compliance. Ah, beautiful. Because I knew from the CEO that they, the team wasn't honest with each other. And they did a lot of bitching in the men's room and stuff, but they didn't really face what was the real differences they had. And he said, we're never going to get anywhere with this team if they don't learn how to be open and honest with each other. So open and honest with each other is one of the cures for maybe, but you have to, that person has to have enough support from friends or from inner world that we teach, you know, their, their own dreams, their own journaling, that stuff. Oh, they yeah. have to have enough inner support to be able to say, wait, 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 I don't want to say maybe, but I don't want to say yes either. Cause I'm still processing this. So good. Yeah. And what was the response of the people when you told them 
about passive compliance. It was it was really fun. It was an afternoon. We were at the Hilton Hotel. We were at the Hilton Hotel down in Burbank, and uh, they started going back and forth. And one of the guys, the VP of IT, said to me, "So you want openness and honesty? Is that right, Doctor Frew?" <laughs> and uh, I said, "Yes, that's right." His name was Bob. Did Bob was Bob? Uh, he wasn't bought in on you. He wasn't what? Was he not bought in on you? Body? Bought in. Like oh, he, bought in. No. So he, he said, he said, I'm going to give you what you want. He said this in front of everybody. He said, what you want is honesty. I'll give you honesty. I think this is a waste of time. I, could, I have a lot of work in my office. I could go back in my office, get something done. I don't want kumbaya. I don't want hugs. I don't want, aren't we all getting a little, and I listened to him. When he was done, I looked at him. And I said, you're the truth teller in the group, because in this room, there's probably half the room that felt just like you did, but none of them were, uh, uh, you know, courageous enough to say it and take me on. So if I crown you the truth teller, can you stay for a couple of sessions and see if this is going to work? He said, I guess so. I said, good. And he became one of the leaders in that room for the truth telling. He's the one that would say, wait, 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 this doesn't work for me. Wait, wait, wait. I got an idea here. And he had been demonized as a negative guy and the leadership had talked about getting rid of him because he was so negative. Actually, he wasn't so negative. He was a truth teller and he was bright enough to see what needed to happen and only Amazing. needed some support to do it. It's funny. So I started coaching a 13U baseball team. Yeah. And I became, well, I had families call me and tell me about all their family dynamics about this and that and why their son is leaving the team that they're on and going to go play on your team, but they're really afraid to hurt those people's feelings and they're afraid the judgment that's going to come with that. And it's been this whole charade. And it's so funny. I, I get these calls and I stay very sober about it. So I don't get too into the details of their dynamics because it really doesn't matter. It doesn't have to do with their son getting better at the sport. It has to do with their own drama within their family. So I addressed it right out of the gate and I told them, I said, listen, I'm not your marriage counselor. That's good. I'm not your marriage counselor. That's good. I'm your son's baseball coach. Yeah. And I haven't recruited one person to be on this team. I have decided that I'm going to coach this age group because I don't have the time anymore to be one-on-one -on -one with this demographic. So I'm going to start a team, 20 players. I'm going to hire coaches and I'm going to get out there because I like being on the ground with this age. I think it's very transformative. This is 13, 14 year old kids. Yes, that's right. You know what I mean? And kind of where we started the conversation is this, they're so malleable and you, you can help them so much. Right. And I had to be the truth teller to these parents because they want people to entertain those conversations. And your story of Bob, the IT guy, he didn't want to have those conversations. He just wanted to say it how it was. Right. Now, here's the challenge about telling the truth. Sometimes you got to say it with some grace. And the people that end up getting fired for being the truth teller are thought of as the negative ones. Yes. Because of how they say it. So sometimes it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Yes, but, but... Also, the people they're telling the truth to are afraid of the truth. Yep. So they might get fired not because of their delivery. Because they may get fired fear. because they. it's like the teenager in the family. He says, Dad, that doesn't work for me. And the father says, don't talk to your father that way. Yeah. It's that suppression. 
you have to watch out for that in change. Who's so what do you what do you do with that suppression? If you're the one being suppressed, what do you do with it? Well, it depends whether you have a tribe, whether you have, you know, f people to talk to, whether you have support. Because if, if I'm talking to the 15-year-old, and I have many times, the 15-year-old whose father is a suppressor, his father's threatened by him, then I got to get the father in my office too. Mm. And I got to say, you know, your son is an amazing human being, and he's got a lot of ideas and a lot of energy, and I think that it frightens you. Yeah. And if you could open to that a little bit and see this young very virile young man and he's full of stuff and he's full of life and he's full of ideas and he's joyful and he this guy could run the company the country tomorrow morning yeah. i mean he's that guy and he's talking to a father who's never taken any risks yeah who's been in a little accountant's office or something he's, he's he's kept doing the same thing in his business but he's frightened he's never taken on his own marriage yeah he's never taken on anything neighbors marriage religion anything so his son's coming up like a volcano scares him right to the roots. So they need coaching, the father and the son. Yeah. Because the son has to be aware that he's so powerful that he's going to make the father poop his pants if he doesn't kind of cool it somehow. Your idea about delivery. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Well, I think that's a whole lot for the first episode. <laughs> Do you? Yeah, I think it's great. I think it's great. I think if we're going to recap it... It's yes, no, maybe. Being really clear on where you're at. Is it a yes? Is it a no? Living in that world of maybe can be very challenging. And that's where a lot of uncertainty and fear and anxiety can be placed in that world of maybe. So getting to yourself to a yes or a no and being definitive in that yes or no is a major turning point for anyone's life as they're going through change. So there's so much coming in the future with myself and Steven. And I want to keep it there because the next episode, they're going to have a lot to digest. That's right. That's right. And, and I want to add one thing. Your no is your gift. And in the culture, it isn't talked about that way. Remember that your no, if it's genuine, if it's coming from you in your heart, your no is your gift. It almost is always a bigger gift than your yes, because it gives people a, a window into who you are, your soul. And that's what no is about. Beautiful. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the show. I hope you benefited from this. Give the show a follow, share it, and comment what you'd like to hear more of so we can help more people perform in all aspects of their lives. 